Hello, and welcome to the Women's Rooted Podcast, a ministry in which we strive to encourage the women of our body here at First Baptist Church in Canyon, Texas, to be rooted and built up in Christ through God's Word. Hello, I'm Amy Duggan, and I'm joined today with Molly Yeager and Sharon Reagan. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. So glad we could all gather today. Um, let's start off by just talking about, um, in this Christmas season, what are some unique traditions to your family? Well, um, one thing in our family is if you ever go to our house and you notice on top of the tree, usually it's something with a lot of meaning, a star, an angel, and um, at our house, it's a stuffed walrus. <laughs> I and didn't even hey, notice I don't, we got to tell <laughs> us it's about because this. the first year we were married, I wanted to find something very meaningful and pretty, but also on a budget. And so I could never make up my mind on what I wanted on top of this tree that we're going to have forever, you know, because that's just the way I think. And um, I couldn't decide. And then one day I walked in and Daniel had found like a stuffed walrus or something lying around the house and he just stuck it up there. And so <laughs> now we have the traditional Christmas walrus because okay. we're traditional people. That is funny. You needed I, something on that tree. I did. could not go empty. <laughs> that is great. That's so funny. Uh, one of our Christmas traditions, but you know, you can set out to make a tradition and it just falls flat. And then there's yeah. other things that you don't mean to repeat and then you just right. keep repeating. Yeah. So one of the things that we started, I think Mark and Tim, our oldest, were six months old. Or maybe it was even the year before. I don't know. But we buy Chick-fil-A peppermint milkshakes on the night that we decorate our Christmas tree. Okay. So that's just okay. what it's like. I mean one of the boys' favorite traditions. So, you know, now there's no Chick-fil-A in town here. We have to plan ahead, get it <laughs> the day before or something, you know, but that is just so fun. We decorate and we That's so fun. Chicks. I like that one. That's great. Well, you know, our seasons have changed, you know, over the years. So we've started kind of like you've said, you know, you start these traditions and sometimes they stay around and sometimes they kind of fall away depending on what's happening that year. But one thing that's kind of stayed true is, Something my dad started in our family a long time ago was we gather around the Christmas story on Christmas Eve by candlelight, you know, the whole, yeah. we, I was with, I had, was the middle of three girls. And so everything was always very emotional, you know, so, <laughs> and my dad was such a good girl dad. So he, he liked it, but, and then he would ask us a series of questions about our year and, um, you know, how God had been faithful through the year and things that we were hoping for in the next year. And so we've kept that alive with our family. And it's always fun, something they look forward to. Oh, that's, that's sweet. Cool. I bet you get some good insight, too. Oh, yes, and questions. there's always lots of tears. You know? oh. <laughs> always, always good feel-good moments. I love it. Well, today we are continuing our series on studying women of the Bible and how God used them to display his love and his grace and to bring about salvation through the promised Christ, except today the promised Christ is going to become the birthed, is that a, <laughs> that works, birthed the Christ. Um, so we have made it to the New Testament just in time for Christmas, and so today I'm going to, um, like I always do, give a little recap of where we've been. Our last episode, we covered quite a lot of history from women of the divided kingdom in Israel all the way through exile and then the return from exile. So God was being very patient with the house of Israel, um, but God did bring his judgment on his people for their willful disobedience and their idolatry and disregard for his holiness and really just presuming upon his blessing. Um but they had broken his covenant and he had promised he would bring curses upon them and not blessing. And so many Israelites were killed or died by plague or famine, but a small portion of them he carried off into exile in Babylon for 70 years. And God kept his promises made to his prophets that he would gather his people at the end of this captivity, set them free and restore them to their land. And so we talked about that in the last episode, but thankfully this act of redemption on God's part was not the the act of redemption that he was about to bring about. It's not the end of their story. So while the land of Israel was purged of its foreign gods, the people remaining still struggled to remain faithful to God's law. And he continued to discipline them through hardship, such as drought and pestilence on their crops and threats of enemies around them and continued to call them 
to return to him in repentance, humility, and obedience through prophets such as Zephaniah, Zechariah, and Malachi. But even these prophets continue to point to a later day of the Lord in which he would forgive, redeem, purify, and restore his people eternally, as well as judge the wicked. And so all along, there continued to be the small remnant of Israelite, of faithful Israelites who not only honored the Lord with their lips, but also with the attitudes of their hearts and their actions as well. So today, our train of redemption is going to emerge after a 400-year period of silence on God's part. So it's not that God was not at work in his people preserving and protecting them, but he did not send them any more prophets after Malachi, which is why Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. At the point in history we're discussing today around 6 to 7 BC, maybe a little bit later, God's people had been waiting for centuries for God to intervene and send the one God had promised. And the one that was promised, Moses and the prophets referred to him as the seed of Eve, the anointed one, their conquering eternal king in the line of David, the servant of the Lord, um, and the shepherd of the Lord. But the people had varying ideas of what that was going to look like. Would God send this promised one to rescue them from the rule of surrounding empires and restore the glory and sovereignty of their nation? Would he turn the hearts of the people back to God and purify their worship? And what would God's mercy look like for his people? So today we're going to meet three Israelite women of three different tribes and different ages, and at the center of their lives is God's fulfillment of his promises of the Old Testament. We're mostly going to be in the book of Luke. He gives the most details um, And when he wrote his account of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, he based it on the testimonies of eyewitnesses handed down to him. And these women women were all such eyewitnesses. So we're going to start with Elizabeth. Sharon, why don't you tell us who she was, and then we'll discuss it. Yeah, I love the story of um, Elizabeth and her husband, um, Zechariah, because it just shows that there were those faithful people um, that Mm -hmm. they are, they're part of that remnant. And in Luke one verse six, it says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So it's kind of the same old story that we've heard several times. Mm -hmm. Here's an older couple that are not able to have the blessing of a child, and um, God intervenes in a miraculous way. He sends the angel Gabriel to um, Zechariah, and he tells them that you will have a son. And um, Zechariah does not believe him, and it is, you know, that's easy to understand. I don't know how I would feel about having an angel tell me that kind of thing, too. But the son would come, and he would be <clears throat> the... Um, the one to come before the Lord, that he would be, um, I believe it's called in the way of Elijah, that he would just show that this is the son, make way for the Lord. So after a while, um, Gabriel leaves, and um, because of Zechariah's disbelief that he didn't believe the angel Gabriel, he said, you will not be able to speak until your son is born. So Elizabeth gets pregnant, and um, it is in this pregnancy that she gets a visit from her cousin Mary. So when we think about Elizabeth and this um, miraculous birth, um, what are some of your thoughts on this part of the story? Well, just thinking about the miraculous conception, which we're about to talk about a greater miraculous conception, but, you know, like you're saying how God is intervening. I mean, just over and over again, God's saying, this is not by human effort. You cannot bring about my plan of salvation through natural human means. It's going to be me who does it. Mm-hmm. And I love that um, the angel said, the Lord has heard your prayer. And so mm-hmm. I kind of thought about this as I was reading um, this week. Just, you know, I don't know when they stopped praying that prayer, but they were advanced in years. So I don't know mm-hmm. if this was a prayer that they had prayed continually and maybe still, or if this was a prayer that they had prayed long ago. But either way, the promise fulfilled was um, so sweet. Yeah. So. In his timing, you know. Right. Um, The scripture describes them both as being blameless. How do y'all understand the word blameless? Because we know that they were sinners. I mean, all all men have sinned. Right. Um, 
You know, I think that this kind of goes to that they were following the, it's been 400 years of silence and they are still faithful. You know, they have been found faithful following the laws of God, not sinless, um, but maybe righteous in their service and the observance of God's commands. Similar maybe to Noah. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Um, absolutely. And because they bre- believed in that promised one to come, mm-hmm. God counted them righteous too. Right. In a, mm-hmm. a, and because of that, they were living righteously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, any other thoughts on Elizabeth before we move on to Mary? Well, so we're going to pick up in Luke 1, verse 26. And we meet Mary. And we're told that Mary is Elizabeth's cousin living in the town of Nazareth. Now, Mary is of the tribe of Judah. And that would have been because her father was a descendant of King David. Now, Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. Elizabeth is a Levite. So it is thought that Elizabeth's, or sorry, Mary's mother was probably a Levite. And that's how they were cousins. But she was counted of the tribe of Judah because of her father. And really in Mary, we see the opposite of Elizabeth in so many ways. She's young. Mm-hmm. She's got her whole life ahead of her. She's a virgin, but she is pledged to be married to Joseph. Um, and like I said, she's also a descendant of David. And we're also told that she's either poor or of modest means, because later on when they go to make a sacrifice, they give doves and not, or was it pigeons? One of the two, I can't remember, instead of a lamb, which was a provision in the law for those who didn't have the means to give a lamb. So, you know, she's related to King David, but after exile, you know, the royal family was no longer, they probably no longer had any special wealth or nobility. So Elizabeth at this point was pregnant for six months and God sent the angel Gabriel to the town of Nazareth to Elizabeth's cousin Mary and Gabriel greeted her and called her highly favored two times, and said, the Lord is with you. And Gabriel gave a second pregnancy announcement, this time that Mary would bear a son, and his name would be Jesus, which means the Lord saves, um, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Gabriel told her that he will be great, which is the same thing that Gabriel told Zechariah about John. But there's a distinction. He's, this Jesus would be called the Son of the Most High, and God would give him the throne of David, and he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. So Mary asked, uh, how <laughs> is this going to be? Because she was a virgin. And Gabriel told her that this would be through the Holy Spirit, that the power of the Most High would come upon her. And because of this conception through the Holy Spirit, her son would be the Holy One. And he also told Mary that Elizabeth was six months pregnant and that nothing is impossible with God. So Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. So Mary soon traveled to Elizabeth's town in Judea. And when she walked into her home and greeted Elizabeth, baby John in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the spirit and she prophesied, it said loudly, which I love. Um, And so I'm going to read one 42 to 45, because I just love the way that she greets Mary. She said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And then after that, Mary sang a song in response to Elizabeth's words. This is actually the first of three hymns in the book of Luke. We have Mary's song, and then Zechariah will sing a song, and then Simeon will actually sing a song. And so in this song, which is known in Latin as the Magnificat, Elizabeth blessed, um, sorry, Mary turned around. After Elizabeth blessed Mary, Mary turned around and blessed the Lord and praised God with her whole being, And then explained why she was praising God, that she was praising him for his mercy, God's mercy to those who fear him, to those who are humble and hungry for him from generation to generation. So Mary knew this son she would bear was at the center of fulfillment of not just Old Testament prophecies of the one promise, but also the covenant with Abraham. And then Mary stayed for three more months before returning to Nazareth. So we're not sure if she witnessed John's birth or left just prior, but... 
That ends that section. So let's talk about it. How did we see God's glory and grace at work in Elizabeth and Mary's lives? Well, one thing in my research that I just kind of wanted to clarify was um, in Luke one twenty eight, um, it says that Mary was highly favored. And I think when I hear that in English, I think it's something that she deserved, like she was such a good person or she merited it. And um, when I looked it up, the Greek word actually means much grace. And so she had nothing deserving about her to have this special role and that it was an unmerited favor, and it was just that God wanted to do it that way, and so that's the way it happened. Mm. That's a great point. And then she goes on in that um, song to show that she knew she needed that grace as well. Mm -hmm. So there was no arrogance about her. There was nothing really special in her character that made her qualified for this role. It was completely God's choosing her. That the way that she lived was an overflow of God being mm-hmm. her creator and her savior and her king. Mm-hmm. And I love that her first response was, <clears throat> my soul magnifies the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, it, that was her very first response to, um, to Elizabeth's greeting and blessing that she had given her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know if she was pregnant at that point or just barely, but she... And Elizabeth, too, they considered this promise as good as done. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not if this happens. It's It's happening. It's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the way that Mary responded to Gabriel when she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. Oh, my goodness. I mean, those are hard words. For anybody, I can't even imagine at that point in her life of being so young and something so unknown, but known but unknown happening to her and she's just a servant in that moment Um, Mm -hmm. isn't it fitting too that Jesus came as a servant the first time and so she is submitting totally to God's word and his promise and then she gives birth to Jesus who came the first time as a servant I just thought it was so fitting yeah um, so what about Elizabeth's response to Mary's arrival? Here it is. This is a huge deal. She's an elderly lady, and she is pregnant, and all the joys of about to give birth. And Mary comes, and it's all about Mary. Yes. Yeah, that's such a good point, you know, um, because this is a baby she had longed for for many years. And um, immediately her her response is, oh, my goodness, the our Savior is here, and you are – Uh, you know, it's just, it's beautiful that she, you're right. She had no selfish ambition in that moment, but only worship. And I just love that she was filled with the Holy Spirit because, you know, the Holy Spirit hadn't come until Pentecost yet. And so it was, you know, um, we were just in this, what, four or 500 years of God being silent and um, just this dry time. And then through the angels and everything. And now the Holy Spirit is on her. As I was considering how she was blessing Mary and Mary's son above herself, I thought of the statement, he must become greater and I must become less. And then I thought, so wait a second, that's her son said that. Yeah. Like we just see, we've talked about this, how that's Samuel, so like yeah. the prophet Samuel resembled his mother's faith in so many ways. And we see Mary oh, as so a good. servant and then Jesus coming as a servant. And here we see Elizabeth honoring this child to come Good. and then there comes John like that his whole life was to point to Christ I just love that connection between mother and son and their faith even in the womb I, I just love that he leaped and that the Bible included that that there was that yeah. praise of John the Baptist praising God then yeah while I've been studying this week this one song keeps coming back to me and that's um you know the words make me a vessel make me an offering make me um an instrument you know it's just it's That's exactly what these women were. They were um, instruments in his story. That's right. So now we're going to move on to the promises that God were making, that God was making to these women actually fulfilled. So Amy, tell us about this next section starting in Luke 156. Absolutely. So that's exactly right. These promises have been given and now they're fulfilled. And to Elizabeth, (coughs) John was born. And uh, as he was born, all the neighbors rejoiced 
um, with her for this great for this great mercy that God's given to her. Um, and they were still faithful, as we saw um, earlier in this story that. Elizabeth and Zechariah had been faithful in their practices, Mm -hmm. even in the silence. They're faithful again, and on the eighth day, take him to be circumcised, and that's the day they give the name to the baby, and um, they are, they keep their word, and they name him John, just as the, as the angel had told them to do, so um, love that, that they were obedient, even um, at that moment, because that was uncommon. That's, names had great significance, and John had Absolutely no family significance mm-hmm. to them at that time. So, um, and to Mary, oh my goodness, I mean, <coughs> she goes with Joseph to be registered, and it comes time to give birth to the son, and her firstborn son, it says, um, and just as, just as she was told, just as the angel told her is exactly how it happened, and then the angels um, announced, had a great birth announcement um, to the shepherds, and the shepherds came and saw, and they went away telling everyone, and um, and they found Mary and Joseph with Jesus, just as the angels had told them. Um, and at that moment, you know, I, I can imagine Mary's um, just her amazement and and w- at what was happening, that all these things that she was probably, there was probably some fear in were being confirmed and, and just being and happening just as she was told. And, um, of course, my very favorite um, verse, really one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is in, in 2.19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Um, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told. Yeah, she was taking it all in. What do you think she was pondering? You know, I um, in. And, you know, I've, I've thought about that so many times, but in this research this week, I actually listened to a couple of different sermons, and one just made me really stop and think that the story had been told to her her whole life. Um, the promises had been had been told to her, and um, it's, I think she was just meditating on God's faithfulness through the generations. And in, in my mind, this is what she's thinking is, Maybe she was even thinking back to Isaiah. I don't know, um, and all the promises that had been that had been made, and um, you know, in her song, um, you can see so many things that she she knew had been foretold, um, the coming of of Christ, and so she may not have understood every single thing, and I think that's what why she was pondering. She's trying to piece yeah. it all together, and how does this, how is this baby going to play this part, and how. And why am I here? You know, yeah. what is my role in all of this? But yeah, I agree. I think that's um, the pondering, and I think there's a lot of wisdom that we can learn from that. Is to not just when something happens, like make our own conclusions. Like, oh look, I, I heard from the angel this is going to be the Messiah, and then she didn't like run out and tell all the people like she he's going to overthrow the Roman mm-hmm. authorities or whatever they thought that would look like, but just that she held that and she thought about it and saw how. God played out the story and didn't jump to conclusions about what it was going to be. And then, you know, I think, and we'll kind of get into some of this. We'll see a little bit of her journey here in a little bit of, it was a faith journey for her. And then after Christ's, Christ's crucifixion, when he told John to take care of her, and she was there with the disciples um, in the early church. And just to think that she was probably telling the stories of what Jesus was like. I mean, we know that she was telling Luke this story and all those things that she had pondered for years, she was finally being able to like share and see with the, yeah, the um, looking back. Uh Yeah. And I think it's such a gift, you know, even now, sometimes we don't have all the answers. We just are faithful to the day. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what she was doing. She was faithful to the day and, Mm -hmm. and meditating and thinking through all that, had happened before and all that was to come. Yeah, because even when we tell testimonies of things that have happened to us, it's always the looking back that we can be like, look how God brought me through this. Look at the Mm -hmm. amazing things he did. Where sometimes when we're in the middle of the storm, we just don't see that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think she had full faith that it was going to be like God said, that God was going to bring redemption through her son. But the how, Mm -hmm. you know, she's just this poor Mm -hmm. ordinary woman. (sighs) How is this yeah. baby going to become king? And uh, yeah, I, th- I think so too. Uh, well, Luke 
continues in his gospel to explain how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of God's promises of salvation. And so in this next segment, he introduces his readers to two elderly saints who are described as righteous and full of faith, and they were waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled as well. So according to the law, there was a time of purification after giving birth. So after that was over, which would have been maybe between five and six weeks long, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to consecrate him as their firstborn son and to offer a sacrifice according to the law. Well, while they're there, an elderly man named Simeon comes up. And even though we're focusing on women, and we're going to get to Anna in a minute, this is really significant because of what he prophesied to Mary. So he took the baby Jesus in his arms and he praised God. And then he connected this baby to the prophecies in Isaiah and says that this child was God's salvation that he had prepared, this light to reveal God to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. And Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary. And in the same breath, he told Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So we'll discuss that in a second. But at that moment, another elderly saint comes up, a widow named Anna. Now, she had been a widow for 84 years. So studies say that she was probably around 106 years old at this point, and she lived in the temple and spent all of her time day and night worshiping and in fasting and prayer. And she gave thanks to God, and she prophesied about this baby to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So when you think about that phrase, redemption of Israel, what do you think that people were looking forward to in her time. Well, that's hard to say. I mean, but just, I know historically, I think they were looking for freedom from the Roman government. I mean, they were looking for a quick fix to their temporal problem. But I also think, especially that remnant, they knew it was about reconciliation with God and um, the cure for sin and condemnation. I agree. What in in terms of Simeon, Simeon and Anna themselves, how did God display His glory and grace through their lives? I love that they had been so faithful and looking forward to the day, and they got to actually see mm-hmm. and hold and touch and see this promise that they had long awaited for, um, and got to um, be the first among to um, to bring honor to Him. Um, I mm-hmm. thought that was beautiful that they're. They're among the first people they've worshipped for so long, and um, to see the fulfillment is mm-hmm. so kind of the Lord. And I love just this picture of the widow and the older woman, just so faithful, yes. um, day and night day fasting, and, night. and mm-hmm. um, that's just such a beautiful picture of how hopefully our reliant. lives will be. Yes. yes, so reliant. Yeah, I was reading Malachi this week. And in Malachi 3.1, the Lord says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. So that prophesies about John the Baptist. And then it continues. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, Mm -hmm. says the Lord Almighty. Now, I don't think this is talking about this exact moment of the baby Jesus coming into the temple. But the fact that this was going to be the desire of God's people. And we just see that so beautifully in Simeon and Anna. Yeah. And Simeon did recognize that Jesus was the savior and he Mm -hmm. praised God for that. And then again, we see Mary hiding those things in her heart. Yeah. It says they marveled at what Simeon was saying. And don't you think it's just more and more confirmation, I guess, for, for Mary that these things are happening just as it was foretold. And, um, this baby is, um, you know, kind of, I, I think like we said earlier, like she wasn't sure of the how. And so all these pieces were just kind of building blocks to how that was going to happen, the fulfillment. Yep. So how did y'all see God using Simeon and Anna and their prophecies and blessings in the life of Mary? How do you think that their reactions fit into her story, I should say? 
I think just what Amy was saying, it did give that confirmation, you know, that this is from God and it is a holy thing. And maybe, you know, I think in, in the minds of many people, they didn't know the how. And so uh, maybe their vision of the how is different. But, you know, Simeon's word, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many um, in Israel and a sign that is opposed. I think those words, they might not have understood them, but I think it was, you know, maybe as the, as Jesus grew and as his ministry took place, I wonder if those words continued to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Obviously, verse 35, the sword will pierce through your own soul also. And, um, you know, we can see that as the mother of Jesus, that she would have had, you know, heartbreak in in what was happening. Yeah, especially at the cross when Jesus was literally pierced by the sword. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was gracious of God to maybe, even though they had the prophecies that this servant would be a suffering servant. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about Isaiah 53 in the sermon today. I mean, it describes very clearly that this servant of the Lord was not going to have an appearance that anyone desired. It was going, he was going to look, you know, smitten by God and a man of suffering. So we know all of this. And yet she's got this brand new baby. Like you just, you're thinking she's probably not thinking people will hate him. Um, but I I think it was gracious of God, maybe to start to just prepare her expectations of what was to come, that he was coming as a servant this time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, scripture doesn't mention Elizabeth or Anna again, but it does mention Mary. So Sharon, tell us about the rest of Mary's story. Like Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. (laughs) Um, well, she is kind of sprinkled throughout the New Testament. There's not a whole lot more narrative about her, but um, we do know that she actually lived through all of Christ's life, and so um, she had a front row seat to a lot of things. One of the first stories we hear is, of course, when Jesus is a little boy and he goes to the temple, and um, they can't find him, and when she goes back, she's a little frustrated with him and didn't know where he was, and again, that was... He said he was in his father's house, and again, here we see her hiding those things in her heart where she was just pondering more and more, like, who is this child I'm raising, and what does this really mean? Well, as he grew a little older, his first miracle was actually at the request of his mother, Mary, and um, that was at the wedding in Cana that they had run out of the wine, and so um, Mary actually asked Jesus to do a miracle to provide for the wedding guest. Um, And so uh, Jesus, it seems, was a little reluctant and hesitant at first to perform this miracle. And he said, this is not my time yet. But he did relent and he did um, perform the miracle. And um, I just, one thing I read about that that I thought was really interesting was, you know, that was the temptation of the devil also was to have him like... um, thwart God's timing. And so this could have also been a temptation, but in the way he did this, it was not a public miracle. The only people that saw him do this were Mary and a few of his disciples. So this was still like he was not disobeying God and he was also not disrespecting his mother because even when he says woman in that, it's not a term of disrespect because it was the same term that he used later when he was on the cross and said, John, take care of this woman. So um, Jesus started his public ministry, and there was even one time where Mary and some of his other brothers and sisters were questioning what he was doing. They were concerned about him. Um, There wasn't food to eat. There were lots of people coming after him, and they told him, you need a break. You need to stop doing what you're doing. Um, This is not good. And at this time, he kind of said, he didn't reject them, but he said, anyone who does the will of my father is my family. So that takes us all the way. The next time we see Mary is at the cross. And this is where um, she is there. So obviously, she was not rejected by Jesus. She followed him through his entire ministry. And she was at the foot of the cross when he was crucified, um, close enough that John was there to take care of her. 
And um, he did take care of her. And she um, is in scripture at in Acts at Pentecost. She was in the room with the disciples um, telling stories about Jesus and um, sharing what all he had done. And um, Acts one fourteen at the Pentecost is kind of the last time we hear directly about Mary. Um, but like we were saying earlier, just because we have so much of her personal accounts that only she would have known, we do know that she shared with the disciples who wrote the Gospels quite a bit. I don't know why I had never really picked up on Mary being present at probably the Ascension, but then definitely being with the disciples, waiting on the Holy Spirit in prayer. I guess just never noticed her presence there. I just um, think about God's love and care for her, allowing her to see it all through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just incredible mm-hmm. to, to see the, I mean, when the, sword pierced her own soul at at, at the death of Jesus. But even way before that, like running to Egypt when Herod Mm -hmm. the Great was trying to kill him and, you know, through his life, but then his death, then the resurrection, ascension, the coming of the spirit. I mean, what incredible grace God showed her by allowing her to see all of that take place. Mm -hmm. Well, and one other thing I kind of thought of, and this is just in my own mind, is they think that because Joseph is not mentioned later, that he probably died before Jesus was an adult. So even, yes, he was her savior, but even just as that oldest son of a widow, how he probably had just that care and compassion over her and took care of her so well. Mm -hmm. And many um, scholars believe she was among the eyewitnesses that Luke used to write. Um, to pin these words and so I think that's neat too that she was able to tell her story and um, you know I'm sure she told it over and over again Um, and I think that's such a gift and I think it's neat to see how God used her even though she didn't have full understanding until yes you know after all of this had taken place and the Holy Spirit came and showed them all the connections to the prophecies and how it all fit together but it seems like she was there with the other women taking care of his needs. Mm-hmm. And God used her. All of all, his disciples, those ladies, like they didn't get it all. But yeah. he was still using them. And sometimes don't you think that's a gift? That that lack of full understanding kind of keeps us um, grounded and faithful in mm-hmm. the work. Um, and to be able to look back, like you said earlier, Sharon, and to be able to see how God is working. and how the pieces go together. But I think that sometimes we rush to have all the answers or to know how it's going to end. And I think it was a gift even for Mary to, to maybe not have that full picture. Well, and thankfully, because we don't have the full picture. And so we can look to her example of just patience, obedience, and having faith, even though we may not know the whole story. Mm -hmm. Well, Sharon, Amy, what were your biggest takeaways from studying Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna? One thing I um, I noted was, you know, nothing was unknown to God. Elizabeth's barrenness, the timing, um, Mary's youth, um, the, the all of it was known, even though there were these great 400 years of silence. Um, I, I don't know which one of you said this, but it's um, so true. It wasn't that God wasn't working and... Um, it was just, he, he just had been silent. And so I think it's neat to see that those pieces um, of the story, they weren't, they weren't lost in those 400 years. They were building to that time when it was right to, for, for Jesus to come. I think it's just amazing to think, um, even the fact that this story is included in this ancient literature, that um, there's such a strong role for these women um, as part of God's plan. And even in the genealogy of Christ, um, and we've talked about the women in our previous podcast, but how he included the Gentiles, he included the different tribes, and just that his grace extends beyond ourselves to everybody um, that believes in him. And um, one other thing is just because we are studying scripture, I read this quote this 
week and I thought it was a good Christmas quote, but it's actually attributed to Martin Luther and it says, scripture is the manger in which the Christ lies. And studying these women and studying scripture, um, it just helps us to know Christ more. And that's really the point of all of this. You know, with each story that we've actually studied, it was always, you know, you could see um, every time it was like, is this the one? Is this the one? And how fun to come to this and to know this this child this is, is the, the one. one. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, one of the things that has just stood out to me from the beginning all the way back to Eve is just how God cared for these women in such personal ways. If you just zoom into their lives without looking at his full story of redemption, how he cared for them ministered and loved them. them. And they were living as faithful servants waiting on him to fulfill his promises. And he cared for them personally. So I was curious if you want to share one recent way the Lord has ministered to you personally. Yeah. You know, um, I think so many times, you know, um, we are just, the hands and feet of Jesus, you know, people, um, sometimes you just are in a season of, of tough times and our family's kind of been going through some tough stuff, but not overwhelming, not, you know, we're not, um, but just tough, tough situations. And I'd had kind of a, one of those days where you're just sad a little bit. And I came home and had a, um, like an actual letter in the mail, you know, not a text, not a, um, not an email, but it was an actual sweet, sweet card from a friend that was just, full of, of the promises that God had given us. And um, it was just a, such a nice way of, of the Lord just, you know, giving me, giving me a little bit of love and attention and confirmation that the story is that he is faithful. So. Yeah. I would say two things that um, just through his word, I mean, we say that a lot, and but just the more we study and the more we learn about him, just the more real he is to us and amazing and it is just awe inspiring and then the other thing I agree with Amy is just um I was thinking about this the other day is just how we are so blessed to have community and I think that is something that our world is really seeking out um in all the wrong places and some of the right places I guess but just the fact that authentic community of when you have a need and you have a friend, just someone that can send you a letter or mm-hmm. can um, text you when they're at Sam's to bring you groceries. Or, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Sharon. Well, I'm thinking thanks, Molly. But, um, you know, just to be a part of that community and not to only receive, but to be able to yep. share and give those things to other people, it really is a blessing. Mm-hmm. In October, at the end of October, Nate got laid off from his job and... You know, it's interesting because I have had moments for sure of fear and anxiety, but I think what prepared me to, by God's grace, be pretty like grounded and anchored in Christ is his word. Like you said, Sharon, because I don't know, seeing the big picture and studying all year long, God's promises to his people and his character, it, it just is a trial and that's all it is. I mean, not to undermine anyone's trial or suffering Mm -hmm. but when you're grounded in scripture from genesis to revelation it just it just puts those trials into perspective and um but goodness like the way that god ministered to me personally to my family i mean it's speaking of the body of christ i mean just timely text people praying meals um one family in our church has been letting us borrow their truck um, to have another vehicle. I mean, just like, I, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but just to see the Lord's care for us, not knowing in the time how it was all going to work out, but then praise the Lord. He, um, Nate accepted a job two days ago. And so we do see that answer, but like in, in the waiting, like just his faithfulness, like he took care of us through his body. Um, and, and family, of course, and, and his body afar. So um, just he sees and he hears. I love those moments when we, we know that he mm-hmm. is um, working all things for our good and for his glory. And then we have the big picture. It's not just him working personally, 
but he's working all things for his greater plan. And we saw that with Mary and Anna and Elizabeth. I mean, how did they position themselves to be used by God, even not knowing that they were going to be used in that way? I think one thing is they were listening. They were receptive when the angels came. And um, and I think that was a prepared heart. I agree. I agree. You know, in, in Mary's song, she, you know, she kind of references that, that it's one he's been, he's ministered to her personally, but all that, you know, she ends with, um, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. You know, she, she knows the greater story too. So mm-hmm. I came across Isaiah 56 just this morning, actually, God actually told his people how to wait for him. And I just thought this is exactly what Mary and Elizabeth and Anna were doing. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. They were waiting well. Yeah. And, and so how do we position ourselves to be used by God? I think we all have that longing, um, that purpose with, for which God has created us to bring him glory. And I think we all desire to be used of him. So how do we position ourselves for that? I think it's, you know, what Sharon was just saying, you know, is so we cannot under, undermine the importance of being directly tied to the word every day. You know, that's um, just, that's where our strength comes from. And, and that's how we wait well, you know, mm-hmm. that's how we start seeing the greater picture. And, and when we're facing a trial, um, how can we look back on, on the characters that we've studied, these women that we've studied and, and how the Lord was so faithful to see them and to hear them and to care for them. Yeah. Even, um, this morning in the call to worship or the scripture reading time when it was all about waiting and we are still in a time of waiting, we are waiting for Christ to come back and for glorification. And so to wait, well, we, you know, do the Sunday school answer. We read the Bible, we pray, we commune with other believers and we share the gospel too. And Peter talks about this too, about being productive and effective in in our knowledge of Jesus. He says in second Peter, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So just growing in our holiness to add on to all the things you just said, Sharon. Do you think as Protestants that we honor Mary enough? I know Catholics, they say they do not worship Mary, that they just honor her. But do you think that we honor her enough? Like, what are your thoughts on that after studying her life? Well, I think that scripture is clear that um, the favor she received was from God. It wasn't of her own merit. We kind of touched on that earlier. And then also in 1 Timothy um, 2, 5, we know Jesus is our only advocate in heaven, um, that he is our mediator, and um, we pray to him. And so I don't really understand much of the reasoning or the um what i don't know much about the catholics what they believe and i'm sure every catholic is probably a little different just like every protestant is so i don't know how to speak into that but i think she was special because she loved jesus and because god chose her but for all of us believers we're in the same boat yeah i think she was just you know i don't think that she would (laughs) I mean, just as in her song, as it starts when when Elizabeth is giving her a blessing, her first words are to bless to bless God. She yes. doesn't take that for her own. She you see a humble spirit, um, and I think you know she had a she had a a, a special role, obviously. Um, but I do think that she was just a, a an ordinary woman, and I don't think that you know she. It says no one is righteous, no, not one. You know, and um, that includes Mary. So I, I think she, I think she would say her life was to be a vessel for the Lord. It was had no, none of her own merit, as you say. 
And that gives us all hope that um, we can be that vessel for the Lord and um, that we're not righteous, but we are through Christ's blood righteous. That's right. And we can honor these women by looking at their examples of what it means to fear God, that reverent, humble obedience that seek to please God. And truly the object of their faith is the object of our faith. You know, they dwelled on God's mercy. We see that in Mary's song, just singing about God's mercy extended to those who fear him from generation to generation. And we are one of those generations. And they longed for God's mercy and they received it with joy through Jesus. Um, And as believers in Jesus, we are part of um, the generations who have received mercy through him. Just thinking about being objects of mercy and no longer objects of wrath reminds me of Ephesians 2. It says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what other, any other thoughts that you want to share from your study of these women today? covered it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, Merry (laughs) Christmas. Well, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus this week and wait for him to return, I think we can all echo the prayerful song of the hymn writer Charles Wesley, and we'll end with this. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation hope of all the earth thou art dear desire of every nation joy of every longing heart joy to those who long to see thee day spring from on high appear come thou promised rod of jesse of thy birth we long to hear o'er the hills the angels singing news glad tidings of a birth go to him your praises bringing christ the lord has come to earth Come to earth to taste our sadness, he whose glories knew no end. By his life he brings us gladness, our redeemer, shepherd, friend. Leaving riches without number, born within a cattle stall. This the everlasting wonder, Christ was born, the Lord of all. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thy own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne.